This morning, uh, Jeff Waldrop, a man that I very much uh, respect and uh, trust, heard something from the Lord. And what he heard was he heard that this morning there may be more than one, but there's definitely one person here who has completely given up. I don't know if it's in a specific situation or in life, but what Jeff heard, and I, and I, uh, I believe that this is a word of the Lord, that today, even as you just call upon the name of Jesus, even as you just speak it out, he wants to come into your life, into your situation, and bring transformation right now. And so you just, I just want to encourage you just to speak his name out. And uh, why don't we just all call upon the name of Jesus this morning? Let's just say his beautiful name, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. By no other name can we be saved. You are the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus. Hallelujah. And if that's you, um, let me know either after service or if you're in the mood to just be like, bam, that was me. Just raise your hand and let's hear a great testimony. Scott's claiming that, but that's out of a wonderful lifestyle of always embracing all blessings that come from God. He takes that father of lights. Every good gift comes from him very seriously, he and I. And uh, we both race to the front of the line to receive any impartations and gifts that are being given, except for maybe that whole contract with Satan thing. All right, let's see if this thing is going to do the right thing for me. Okay. This is Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel, to understand a proverb and a figure. The words of the wise and their riddles. Let's read this last part together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Man, the Bible just doesn't pull any punches, does it? It just lays it out. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom to begin from that point. Today, I want to talk to you, uh, um, and we're going to be in this theme for a little while. I'm very excited about this theme that we're going into, and it is about the centrality of Jesus Christ and the revelation of who he is and who the Father is in Scripture. The authority that God has put into Scripture to speak to us, to transform us, and to lead us. You see, we actually have been given the words and the heart and the testimony and the history of God with man, and it is contained in the Scripture. The scripture speaks of who this God is, and it's from that place that we must think and reason under the unction and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And I want to start that today. I want to start by talking to you a little bit about that very thing, and I'm going to use the scripture, and I'm going to contrast it with some of the different philosophies and some of the different thoughts right now that we almost unknowingly are are consistently encouraged by, wooed by, spoken to of, and preached to from. Yes. This is an interesting quote by a man who himself did not actually follow this advice. His life did not end well, but nonetheless, this is a very good quote. Pure truth, like pure gold, 
has been found unfit for circulation because men have discovered that it is far more convenient to adulterate the truth than to refine themselves. That's a t-shirt. <laughs> People don't usually stop to read that much, but I think it, it's a good one. It could cause car accidents if it was a bumper sticker, you know? Anyway. <laughs> one of the things that I think many of us um, probably take for granted um, is how we actually come to making a decision. How we actually, the process that we employ in order to direct our own lives. And I think most of us wouldn't necessarily like right off the cuff agree with that. Like, oh no, I know exactly how I make decisions. You know, I don't know if we do know exactly how we make decisions. I think we have a lot of of unexplored ways that we make decisions. I think there may be more influence in our decision-making by outside forces than we may be aware of. And one of the beautiful things about that is that the Scripture has something to say about how we can make decisions. And in fact, the Scripture helps to inform us so we can make good decisions. There's, in, in the Word, it says in one place, it says, he's speaking of, of, of Christ and his bride, which is us, and it says that God loves us and that he washes us with the water of the word. It's an interesting turn of phrase. He washes us with the water of the word. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that the word has a cleansing ability and that when we, when we receive the word, which has been revealed to us in scripture, this is the history of God spoken of by his followers through the last thousands of years. And here's this wisdom of those who have walked with God and they've written it down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because God has actually revealed himself to us. He has not kept himself a secret. He has brought a revelation to us by which we can begin to think and reason. And when we employ that word, when we read that word, when we hear that word, when we speak that word one to another, it has extraordinary power to begin to wash us, to begin to cleanse us, to begin to purify our motives. And here's what's interesting. And I was thinking about this beautiful scripture, this beautiful revelation of who God is that he's given us in written form. Think about if each of us had a revelation of God, but there was nothing written down. So there's nothing written down. It's just this thing of Jesus appears to you and Jesus appears to me. Now, indeed, the truth is that by his Holy Spirit, he does appear to you and he does appear to me. But how do we know when one of us is deceived and one of us isn't? Because if it's just about Jesus showing up in my heart and Jesus showing up in your heart, but there's nothing objective, how will we know when we need to calibrate? How could we possibly know? Because at the end of the day, it would just simply be me and Jesus against you and Jesus. Wouldn't it? You would say, Jesus said there's eight days in a week. I clearly remember. I remember because I prayed a prayer and he came into my heart. And when he did, I was thinking about how there's never enough time. And in that moment, the Lord said to me, there's always enough time. And I knew in that moment that Jesus had added a day to the week. And therefore, we are the church of Latter-day eight days a week. And then I would say, that's crazy town. Jesus said no such thing to me. And you would say, but Jesus is in my heart. And I would say, but Jesus is in my heart. And then we would fight. And what can you appeal to? Nothing. You can't appeal to anything because you're simply saying that my subjective experience with an objective God is enough to determine how I will think a reason, how I will move forward. But God in his wisdom and his beauty and his excellent godness 
It's a word. He, he's, he's smarter than us. He's just, he just is. It was Winky Prattney. Someone said, how come I can't be God? And Winky Prattney, extraordinary teacher, he said, you're not good enough, you're not powerful enough, and you're not smart enough. Sit down. <laughs> that's a good word. Let's just pray and go home. I think that's really the point of this whole message. But I'm going to expound just a little bit. So God gives us the revelation of who he is and what he actually expects of his sons and daughters in this earth. He tells us what he's like, what he expects, what we're like, what the enemy's like, what history is like, and what the future is like. And then he says this, Jesus says, these are my commands, happy are you if you do them. And so here we are. So then when you come and you say, I am Joshua Rivas. Uh, actually, it's me, I guess. When I come to you and I say, I am Joshua Rivas, the first apostle of the eight days a week, then you would say, uh, hang on now, and you would turn the Bible, and you probably, because you're mean, you would say, they, it says in the last days they will try to change the times and the seasons. And I'll go, oh, man. But, you know, I can't argue with that because it's in the Scripture. It's in the revealed word, the revealed revelation, uh, the revealed revelation. I'm doing really good here. The revelation of God's desire of what reality is and what he says that it is. And it's not open to our own personal interpretation. In fact, in the Scripture, it also says this. No prophecy is of private interpretation. What does that mean? It means that I don't get to get some super secret, extra spiritual, deeper truth, better than y'all. I don't have to listen to you revelation and then be like, well, it doesn't matter because that's my interpretation. Well, you would, you'd grab the scripture and you go, actually, it says here, God doesn't give a prophetic word that's, that's just for a private interpretation. It's a public interpretation. If it doesn't work in real time with all of history, my Holy Spirit, the scripture, and the body of Christ, you are in the middle of starting your own cult. It's a big no-no. He reminds you of those wise words, the banana that leaves the bunch gets eaten. <laughs> Let's move forward. Have you guys seen these? Who goes to St. Arbucks for their coffee? I love St. Arbucks, Starbucks, for those of you that are slowly letting the coffee affect you. Okay. So uh, the prophet Oprah um, is is uh, a wonderful businesswoman. Honestly, that girl has got game. I mean, she is a phenomenal business person, and I support that. I think that's awesome. Um, but Oprah um, is also starting a new line of tea, and I don't know if it's any good because I don't drink tea, but I have noticed that my coffee cup has been getting adulterated by these, and, um, and, and you know what? It doesn't make the coffee taste any worse, and it gives me something to talk about, so I think that's a blessing. And plus, it inspired this sermon. So I feel like there's two blessings right there. The cup is half full. So here we go. Oprah, in, uh, in, the, in the wisdom of this age, says to us, follow your passion. It will lead you to your purpose. Mmm. That's good. That's good. Does it, 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 now, here's the interesting thing, right? Honestly, let's just be honest. Close your eyes for a minute, and I want to just speak this over you. Follow your passion. It will lead you to your purpose. And there's something in you that actually resonates a little bit. Like, that kind of sounds right. It's, it's, it resonates with something. Like, I am passionate about things. I do have a purpose. I should follow with my passion. Wait, do the thing that I like 
and it will show me what I'm for? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the second one is like it. The only courage you ever need is the courage to live the life you want. <laughs> I have been waiting for that one. I can't tell you how free I became when I read this. I, I was like, Jason, we are in the wrong gig. I mean, think about this. This is brilliant. And I'm all jacked up on caffeine, so I feel like we could actually accomplish this. <laughs> Finally, a life philosophy that I can accomplish right now. Now, <laughs> I need to say this, because I want to have some fun, and we're supposed to have fun. And if you're here, and maybe you're not a follower of Christ yet, I also want to be humble. I want to... Uh, I want to speak to this, and we all need to remain humble because the truth is being a bunch of arrogant jerks that have the truth but make it not awesome isn't helping. So I want to speak in a spirit of humility. And so I want to, I want to talk for just one second. Okay, I do have 25 minutes. Okay. Um, you guys have heard what a straw man is, right? Okay, a straw man, when you're having a debate or an argument, is where you take the weakest possible argument of the opposing view the weakest possible argument, and you set up that argument. You say, well, my opponent believes <laughs> in fairies, and clearly only Disney believes in fairies, and so everything my opponent believes is obviously a fairy tale. And so I push over his silly little argument, his silly little idea, and what have I done? I said, he believes in fairies. None of us believe in fairies. That's dumb. They only belong in Disney. So then, so then here's the straw man. I push that over, and then I go, so therefore, everything my opponent thinks is dumb. And so all I'm doing is I'm taking the weakest possible argument, pushing it over, and then wanting you to assume that everything else that that person thinks is just not worthy of any thought. And it's, it's a ploy. It's, it's not really an honest debate at that point. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because as I was preparing this sermon, and because I've got some more quotes for you guys, I was thinking, this is going to come across as so arrogant. Um, because these, I don't want to make it look like they're just a bunch of straw men. But the, the more that I did it, the more that I was like, they're all straw men. I have kind of a problem here. And I began to realize something, and this is beautiful, so I'm coming to a point so that I can actually preach this message, but here's, here's what it is. I began to realize that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that means that any other philosophy that doesn't start with the fear of the Lord ends up being a straw man. Now, the reason why I even bring this up is because if you're here and you're, and you're seeking Christ, or maybe you haven't heard the gospel before, or, or maybe you've run into some really arrogant half-educated, not fully transformed, proud person who claims the name of Jesus over their wreck of a life, and you're about to hear me compare the, the philosophy of following God with these other philosophies, then you're like, well, this just proves what I've already experienced when I've dealt with other really self-confident half-wits in the name of Jesus. And that's not what I'm trying to do here. What I'm trying to do is I want to show that there are, that we are, number one, responsible to actually think and reason and choose the highest value. And that as we're doing this, I'm gonna compare some of these modern day philosophies, some of these things that we hear over and over and over again, and they really are affecting the way that we make decisions. They really are affecting the way that we weigh the truth. And so as I'm, I'm comparing this, I'm, I promise you, I'm not trying to be arrogant. The truth is the only reason why I stand up here is because God in his goodness reached down into the dust which is me and said, I love you. And if you will humble yourself, I will begin to tell you the truth. And that's it. And I just said, that sounds awesome. 
And then I have had to humble myself again and again and again because the truth is I have been arrogant and I have been a know-it-all. And I also talk a lot, so I've told everybody about it as I've gone and I've made big mistakes. And I'm asking you, learn from mine. But we're not setting up straw men to try to make God look good. We're simply comparing this good God and the revelation of who he is with some of the philosophies of the day. Does that make sense? Okay, and I'm asking all of you, as you share with your family and your friends and the people in this, in this earth, I want you to share the good news as good news and give the due honor to that person that you're talking to who may believe these, these prophetic words from Oprah. They've gained a lot of strength and joy. And, and, and if you come in and just say, well, that's just stupid. What you're saying to that person is, you're stupid. As opposed to coming in and saying, you know what, it's interesting that has sort of a, a ring of wisdom to it, but let's examine it, and let's do that together. Does that make, does that, how's that feel? So let's examine these and do it together. So I wanna contrast then these with the scripture. So Oprah says, follow your passion. It will lead you to your purpose. The apostle says, for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Now, what does that mean? It means that you could actually be passionate about something and have zero wisdom. You could be really, really passionate about something and actually have no purpose in what you're passionate about. That's possible. So this philosophy when you compare it with the revelation of what God's laid out for, how his, you realize you're made in God's image, right? So how the, how the sons and daughters of God should think or reason, then he's saying, I want you to wash your mind with the water of the word. So when you read a sentiment like this, you're able to look at that and say, that's a bad idea. That's just probably not a good idea. It's a good warmer though. It is doing a good job warming my cup. I'm passionate about this cup warmer warming my cup. And it has found a purpose. But as for this as a life philosophy, I can look at that and I can contrast it and I can actually say, this is a bad idea. The next one, the only courage you ever need is the courage to live the life you want. Now this has elements of truth in it. It does take courage to live the life we're living, doesn't it? And the truth is we actually want this life that we're living, don't we? But there's some presuppositions that are missing from this statement because it's saying any life that you want is worthy of courageously living. And that's the only kind of courage you need. It's actually saying that whatever you want is what you should be courageous to get. But Proverbs has something else to say. The spirit of wisdom speaks through the, the Proverbs and says, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. I should have the courage to do whatever I want? I don't know if courage is the right word there. Let's keep going. I got a few more. Put your faith in what you most believe in. I don't remember how to sing this one. Two worlds, one family. Trust your heart. Let fate decide to guide these lives that we live. You know, I mean, I like Phil Collins. The guy's a great songwriter. This is a disaster. It's a really great song, but this is a disaster. Put your faith in what you most believe in. Whatever it is, whatever you most believe in, Put your faith in it. That's what matters. It doesn't matter what you believe. It just matters that you believe. Hmm. That's good. That's good, isn't it? Okay, trust your heart. Trust it. 
Proverbs has something else to say. God says to us through the Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Wait a minute. Hold on. Tarzan said I can just believe in what I most believe in. And he said to trust my heart and fate would decide. This is the antithesis of what God has said. This doesn't even bring in to th- into, into view that maybe that there is a, a bad road that I might not want. Maybe I don't want fate to decide. Who's fate? And so you see, again, this is not a straw man, but you guys, here's the, the amazing part of this. We hear these kind of things all the time, don't we? It's almost like us hearing those things was meant to be. You know? I mean, when you think about it, the reason why I know it was meant to be is because it happened. Right? It did happen, so it had to have been meant to be. If you, let's start over. I think you guys are with me. This is Wayne Dyer. He is an inspirational speaker. He's on PBS quite a bit. And, um, and uh, I wanted to do the Sphinx, for those of you that watch Mystery Men, which I have not watched, but I read a blog about it, and I don't recommend it. But uh, he has these great things of like, you must master your anger, or your anger will master you. He who lacks planning only plans to have lack. And so he's like got all these little, little quips. But I, I went and looked at the clips, and I couldn't. It wasn't working. I even checked with the Holy Spirit in my wife, and she said no. No, sir. This is an interesting one. Passion is a feeling that tells you this is the right thing to do. Nothing can stand in my way. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. This feeling is so good that it cannot be ignored. I am going to follow my bliss and act upon this glorious sensation of joy. You're laughing because you're ignorant. Let me read it again. <laughs> let, me just, let me just read this again. You know, the interesting thing about this is because this particular, um, this particular thought process, it comes probably with a presupposition on Wayne's part. He probably has a presupposition. Because I don't think that when, when Wayne is talking about this, I don't think he's saying that this thought probably just crosses over to any situation. But you notice he didn't put a presupposition in there. He didn't say begin with right or wrong. He didn't say begin with any sort of a standard. And, and I have known some addicts, and I myself have been an addict, and I can tell you that as I was heading towards my addiction, this was a good song. Passion is a feeling that tells you this is the right thing to do. Nothing can stand in my way. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. This feeling is so good that it cannot be ignored. I'm going to follow my bliss and act upon this glorious sensation of joy. We laugh, but this is sick. And this is the self-justification. This is the philosophy of self that allows me 
to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with, to serve whoever I want to serve, to leave whoever I want to leave, to love whatever I want to love, to do whatever I want to do, because why? Because I have a desire to do it. How do I know it's right? Because I feel it. You tell me that it's wrong? Well, who are you to tell me what I can and can't feel? You don't feel what I've felt or walked where I've walked or done what I've done. Walk in my shoes for a mile and be perfect, and if you're perfect, then I have to listen to you. Oh, you say that being perfect is the qualification to be able to speak into your life. There is one that's perfect, and he does have something to say. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead, and he who loves pleasure will become a poor man, and he who loves wine and oil will not become rich. So when I'm looking at satisfying my bliss and my passion and my desire, and I will listen to no one else, and those are the, those are the reasons of why I would make my decision, I'm ignoring the fact that God has said to us, every man's way is right in his own eyes. Now, if I believe that subjectively, without any outside input, and, and Wayne has told us, Wayne told us, come back, Wayne, there we go, that passion is a feeling that tells you. So my feelings tell me. My feelings are telling me something right now. I feel something right now. I hate working. Yes, that's what they're telling me. And I hate this job. They're also telling, and I hate you guys. Because... <laughs> You're annoying and you don't do what I tell you or believe what I think you should believe so I can feel good about the things that I'm feeling. You see what's going on there. And the reason why I know this is okay is because I feel it and it was meant to be. You see how this is immediately circular and it always comes back to me. And this feeling is so good it cannot be ignored. I'm going to follow my bliss and act upon the glorious sensation of joy. Now we can, and, and may we remember, remain humble here, the word says this, the word says, if your brother is in a sin, go to him and help him out of it. Confront him about that sin, but do it carefully lest you too be tempted. You see, we're looking at these things and, and I'm putting some, some sensational pictures up here for you. You know, you're Pat Tarzan's philosophy, I'm not so dumb. I'm not like Tarzan, I wear pants. <laughs> and then it's like, that guy's smoking crack. I'm not gonna smoke crack. That's way down the road from what I'm doing. But it's not, you see, <laughs> wearing pants and, I mean, not wearing pants. Okay, take it easy, Josh, bring it back, bring it back. I'm submitting to the Lord right now. You see, it's, it's this is in the heart of each of us. We've been born again, but we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're in a process of sanctification by which the Holy Spirit is washing us with the water of the word. He is completing the good work that he began in us. When the apostle was speaking to the church, he said to them, you guys, you should be like teachers now, but you're still like babies. You should be eating meat, but you're still drinking milk. Now, what's the point? The point is he was speaking to the church at a specific time and saying, you're not growing you're still acting like babies. H have you ever taken care of a baby, anyone, a toddler? I'm talking about when they're still innocent, but somehow they can still shriek at you. Isn't that crazy? They're like this little, they're just a bundle of little sweetness. They're so innocent. And then they want something. And they're like, the cat, the cat thing. The, it's extraordinary power of the cat cry of a child. 
who knows that they want something and they feel that sensation and they chase their bliss and you don't give them their bliss and they go, ah, that thing where they, and I remember when my glorious little baby was doing that and I was seriously like, I had kind of a panic attack for a minute. Like, you're sweet and innocent and completely dependent upon me and you are actually furious with me right now because I didn't do the thing you wanted yet. I couldn't believe it happened so young. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, she's continued to grow. You know one thing that she never does anymore? She doesn't do the cat scream anymore at me. She doesn't do that. She does it at Karen, but she doesn't do it at me. <laughs> Why? Because she's maturing in the faith. She doesn't do it at Karen. Um, there was a time, though. Let's just pray for everyone whose daughters are between 11 and 15. <laughs> um, <laughs> Josh, stop, dude, stop. Okay. What's the point? The point is, is that we are actually to be maturing. We are actually to be informed by the scriptures. So when the apostle is speaking to the church and he's saying, listen, you're not where you should be. You're still thinking and reasoning like children. You think that what you want is what should determine what you get. And I'm telling you that you need to actually deny your immediate uh, desires and ask me how to live and how to reason and how to be like me. And by the way, I'm the one that came not to be served but to serve. I'm the one that came and said, not my will, but your will. I'm the one that came and said, you must be born again. You must take up your cross daily and follow me. And I'm the one that said, my commands are not burdensome. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do all the things I commanded you. And there's a list. He said, you will fulfill, you will not only fulfill the law in action, you'll fulfill it in your heart. You'll bless me with your first fruits. You'll bless me with your time. You'll bless me with your heart. You'll bless your neighbor. You'll love like all love. You'll take ownership for your cities. Do you know how you know you're a parent? I noticed this, by the way. This is a good one, somebody. How do you know that these are your kids? It's really, this is huge. It's really core. You gave birth to them, that's true. But I mean later, maybe you got some amnesia. And you're just like, who's blowing up my house? And how do you know if you're, they're, they're your kids? You pay their bills. I realized this. Oh, this must be my kids. I keep paying their bills. As mothers and fathers for our cities, when we look around and we see these things, and we start realizing, I think dad's asking me to take care of this. You want me to pay their bills? You, you want me to care for this city? You want me to clean this? I didn't make this mess. And he says, yes, because I came not to be served, but to serve. And they will know that my father sent me, Jesus Christ, by how you serve this city. That's a whole lot different and following your bliss. Here's another one. There is no reason not to follow your heart. <sighs> you know? There's no reason. This is actually the point. This is the end. You don't believe me. What a ridiculous statement. This is a ridiculous statement, but you want to know something? This is every Disney movie. And I love Disney, by the way, so don't stop watching Disney. They got some great good versus evil. You got some awesome things happening in the movies. I'm just saying the philosophy that gets mixed in with our movies is usually this kind of nonsense. There's no reason not to follow your heart. Now, here's a great man. He did some really great things. 
in the area of dreaming and bringing together a beautiful product, wow, Steve has something to say. In the area of his own personal life, don't listen to him. Nobody liked working for this guy. This guy followed his heart. People hated working for him. The Bible says something interesting. He says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. That's terrifying. That's terrifying right there. Apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, this is probably one of the scariest, if you think about this, this is one of the scariest scriptures in the Bible. Because he's saying, I'm actually looking into your heart and finding out what the motivations are. A lot of us, and I'll put myself in this, I'm asking the Lord to help me, and he is. He's taking us all from strength to strength and glory to glory. But I can tell you honestly, before the Lord, so much of what I do, I do because I don't want to be ashamed in front of you. And I'm learning how to do more because I want to care about the recipient of the blessing. or the re- You understand what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying this very well at all, so I don't even understand what I'm saying. In other words, so much of what I've done in the past, and this is growing. I mean, I, I don't have like a, a big secret life I'm about to unload on you. I'm just telling you that the motivations of my heart oftentimes are I should do this because it's the right thing to do, and if I don't, what will people think? As opposed to, I want to do this because I feel like it's the right thing and it's going to release blessing on this particular person. And I notice God's in love with that person, so I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to not do this because I don't like what it's going to produce in someone else's life or in, in my wife's life or in my life. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a totally different motivation. One of them is actually an exterior way of thinking. It's an exterior government. Now, the truth is, an exterior government is still good. I'm getting off my points. Let me wrap this up. An exterior government is good. It's good. I should care what you think. The reason why I should care what you think is because the second commandment says, love you as much as I love myself. And then he takes it up a notch in John 15 and says, love you as much as he loves you. That's what I'm talking about. You guys are thinking, did I lose you? So this scripture is saying your heart is more deceitful than anything else. It's desperately sick. So unless you allow the Holy Spirit to constantly wash your heart, yes, you're born again. Yes, you're born again. You're a new creation. Adam and Eve didn't have a sin nature, and they had to learn how to deal with temptation. How are we doing? We don't have a sin nature, but we are having to train our heart how to deal with temptation. We're having to train our heart when it gets tempted to follow its own bliss, when it starts deceiving itself because it goes, you know what? There's a couple of ways to do this, and no one's looking, and I'm kind of liking one more than the other. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, but what, is, but what does my word say? And the Spirit quickens you and you make the decision based on God weighing the motive of your heart. Now, don't let anyone ever make you feel like you don't deserve what you want. Don't let anyone do that to you. If you want it, then you deserve it. 
You don't like how things are going here on Sundays? You deserve something better. Go get it somewhere else. Right? You deserve it. You were born into this earth. Two other people came and made you, and God did it in his image. You deserve what you want. Or, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I'm not saying if you leave Christ Center, you're going to end up dead. I am saying that I, that was an unfortunate pairing right there. That, that didn't work. Um, but the reality is there are many things where we face challenges. We face disappointments. We face expectations that didn't work the way that we thought that they would. And we came together, even in this house, and we, we felt the presence of God for a season. And, and we engaged and we were serving. We were seeking and we were connected and we were saying, Lord, where do I fit? And we were pursuing that and it was working. And then after a while, we're like, I'm kind of tired. I need a break, which was good. But then like David, everybody else went out to war again and you, you hung out at home. And you were like, I kind of like resting. I worked a lot. That one, you know, last year. I'm going to rest this year. I'm just seeking the Lord. I'm just going to seek the Lord for a while. And then pretty soon you're like, man, the worship just stinks a little bit now. And people are annoying. And I'm not getting what I should. I'm not getting what I deserve. I'm going to look elsewhere. Anyone raise your hands if you've ever felt that? Liars. <laughs> you know, I said, do you want to? That was mean. Forgive me. Anyway, the point is this, guys. The point is this. You don't have evil, wicked, bad hearts. But you have the potential to allow your heart to lead you astray if you don't bring it back into submission to Christ Jesus and say, Lord, where do you want me to serve? How do you want me to serve? How do you want me to move forward? How do you want me to make this decision? Because I can guarantee this. It's not about coming in and checking with your feeling and then following your bliss. And it's not about taking time to say, no one can tell me that I don't deserve what I want. Here's the interesting thing. Adam was in the garden with God before Eve was made. And God said, it's not good for Adam to be alone. He was with God. He wasn't alone. But God, even though God was there, God said, Adam, it's not good for you. Mankind, it's not good for you to be by yourself. That's a bad program for you. You're destructive when you're by yourself. Because there ain't nobody there to question your genius when you come up with something. And so what did he do? He made a perfect helpmate. He made a family. He made, essentially, he made his sister Eve. Now that sounds a little wonky in the moment, but the truth is, he did. He made him a sister, and from there we have brothers and sisters in all the earth. Everyone but your spouse. In Adam's case, it had to be kind of one and the same. It was Adam, but we don't have to go too far on this. Here's the bottom line. You can't do it alone. Following God is not an independent sport. And you aren't supposed to make big decisions alone because following God is not an independent sport. And most of us make the biggest decisions completely on our own based on several of these failed philosophies. And many times we actually follow our heart, which is deceitful above all things, we follow the lack of bliss. We follow not getting what we feel like we deserve. 
We follow the wound that caused us to, to, to be hurt by others, but instead of following the scripture, we allow then our feeling to propel us outward into whatever it is that we're going to do. And this happens with our finances, this happens with our church attendance, this happens with who we're going to stay married to, who we're going to forgive, who we're going to get along with. And it's all absolutely, completely bankrupt. You don't get to decide what truth is. You don't get to decide what the right way is. What we get to do is we get to come into the scripture and we get to discern what the will of God is. Now, if I were coming in and saying, let me tell you what truth is, I've written a list. I call it Josh's list. Well, then we can argue about our opinions. And I can have the opinion that I'm right, and you can have the opinion that you're right. But if I come and say, God exists, and we all agree, and I come and say, now how do I know this? Because he has revealed himself to us, and how do we know that? Through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ points to the law and the prophets and he says, none of this will pass away until it has all been fulfilled. And I tell you the truth, unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees and you completely fulfill this law, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying it is not open to your own personal interpretation. You have to actually do what I'm telling you to do. And indeed, I will judge you not according to anything else except for what you do which I think is awesome. He's not judging you according to what I do. He's judging you according to what you do. And if we sin, he says, if you sin, Jesus Christ will forgive you if you repent. But why do you repent? Because you restore the standard. What is the standard? Everything Jesus said. What part of that is open to your interpretation and my interpretation and Jason's interpretation? None of that. In light of the Holy Spirit, we humble ourselves in front of God. I'm gonna finish with this thought right here. Uh, well, after this thought, I've got one more scripture for you. This is Christopher Hitchens. He's a very vocal humanist uh, and atheist. My own opinion is enough for me, and I claim the right to have it defended against any consensus, any majority, anywhere, any place, anytime. And anyone who disagrees with this can pick a number, get in line, and kiss my derriere. I don't think he said derriere. Wow. My own opinion is enough for me, and I claim the right to have it defended. Now, here's an interesting thing about rights. You cannot claim rights. You can only be given them. He's standing upon his own opinion and saying, I claim the right to defend my opinion, and anyone who disagrees with my opinion, meaning my opinion affects you, you're not allowed to disagree with my opinion. So I claim the right to have my opinion be greater than your opinion. And if you don't like that, I have a kissing area for those people. And according to my opinion, that is how it is. His own opinion requires others to act differently. And he's claiming that right. If you disagree with him, that is inappropriate. Now here's the interesting thing. We live in a nation, praise God, that we hold these truths self-evident, that all men have been created equal. And we have been given certain unalienable rights. Who gave them? God himself. The Lord says to Mr. Hitchens, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. <laughs> Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, he'll love you. Give instruction to a wise man, he'll be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, he will increase his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, 
we got to catch this, guys. We have to catch this. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. We have all been stupid. We just have. I've been stupid. You've been stupid. Your neighbor's been stupid. Everybody's stupid. All the kids that want to say it right now, just say it. Stupid. Because it just feels good. Just, just get it off your chest. I've been stupid. We have. Because the truth is, we actually think that what we think is what matters the most. And that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is not the kingdom. Oh, I am so out of time. Peter says this to us. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elders and witnesses of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So he's saying to the elders, I'm exhorting you to actually lead. I'm exhorting you that you have to actually get involved. You can't just kick back and be like, I don't know, it ain't like when I was a kid. It means that me as an elder in this house and, and, and all of those that are mothers and fathers in this house, you have a responsibility to actually, when you see something happen with love and respect and humility, you have to actually step in and say, hey, listen, I don't know what's going on right now, but this just doesn't seem right. Is, uh, is your parent around here? You know, can we talk to your parent or something? I need to, we need to talk about this. Or if you see somebody who's there blowing up their life, then you actually stop them and say, look, um, I, just need to, I just need to let you know I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you. I keep seeing you out drunk a lot. This is not good. It does not go well with you. This is the path towards death. This is a bad deal. I'm concerned about your life. I'm concerned about your spiritual life and then your physical life. When, when you see somebody who's, who's leaving the church because of some offense or they're, or they're upset with somebody else, it's your job to say to them, I love you. And honestly, I'm worried about you right now because you're the banana that's leaving the bunch and you're going to get eaten. You're going to get eaten. Because when you're proud, see pride, God resists the proud, but he embraces the humble. If you're the proud jerk, and I say this like this, who hates that jerk that hurt you, you're in the same boat. You have to go to them and say, we all sin and fall short of the glory and you hurt me really bad. And I just need you to know that and I need you to understand it. And they can say, man, I am so sorry because it was not my intention to hurt you. And I'm really sorry. And even though I can't make it right, I can't fix this, I can't change this to fit what was or however, but I can say this, that I'm so sorry I hurt you. Will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? I can't. Am I out of time? I can't put all the pieces back together. <laughs> but I can ask you to forgive me. Do you see what I'm saying? This is very, very practical. It's very, very practical. When somebody comes and says, listen, it is not good that you don't come to church very often. And you say, look, I got a busy schedule. You don't understand what my life's like. And when you're perfect, then you can judge me. I'm not judging you. I'm simply saying there's a way that seems right to a man. And in the end, it leads to death. And I'm not the one that says that. Jesus is the one that says that. And, he, and, and in his word, he said, do not be in the habit. Do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren. You see what I'm saying? We're always appealing back to what are the words of God. And then when we make a decision, we're making a decision, will I follow what God has asked and revealed in his scripture or will I follow my heart? 
Jesus? I ask, Lord, that when you appear, you will give us an unfading crown of glory. Lord, I ask that we would be subject to our elders, that we would clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. God, we don't want you to oppose us for being proud, but we want you to give grace to us as we humble ourselves. So therefore, we humble ourselves under your mighty hand that you would exalt us at the proper time. We cast all of our anxiety on you because you care for us. Lord, forgive us, Lord, in the places where we have become proud and we've embraced this doctrine of demons, Lord, that's spoken often to us in these philosophies that we're supposed to follow our own feelings and follow our own hearts and follow our own uh, philosophies that we're making up. God, we just, we just recognize that we got taken in. We didn't know it, but we were becoming more and more and more selfish. We're like the frog in the pot. And we repent of that right now. And we ask God that you would give us, Lord, first of all, forgiveness. And we commit ourselves to you, Lord, that we will rise in the morning and we'll read your word. Father, not, not, not so we can have an emotional experience every time, though that does happen often. But Lord, that our hearts would be cleansed, that our minds would be informed, that you would search our hearts and our minds so that we can hear you say, this is the way, walk in it. Amen. Prayer servant team is going to come forward. If you need prayer today, please come. We've seen people healed. We've seen emotional restoration. Um, we want to we we make that available for you if the prayer servant team would come to the front. Jason and I are going to be at the back table there. If you're here for the first time, we'd love to just shake your hand and say hello. We also have a free uh, book for you if you're here. We want to give you a gift. God bless you guys. I can't wait to be with you again.